The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Classic NBA podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, what's going on? So I had a uh, had a whole bit. We were initially going to record this on the day of your birthday, uh, and I had a whole bit about guys, oh. NBA guys that shared your birthday. But now I don't. I think it's uh, Kendall Gill. I know is definitely one of them. Okay. Um, there's somebody else, but now I forgot. Are you aware of any NBA players that have your birthday, or, or, or no? Um, no, I, I I I'm sure I've looked it up in the past. It does not. <laughs> um, I'd have to. Go in there. I will say that Tracy McGrady was born exactly one day before I was born. Well, that's born. something to be proud. Uh, yeah. Hey, you uh, know what? May twenty fourth, nineteen seventy nine. Um, I was born May twenty fifth, nineteen seventy nine. All right. So other players born on May twenty fifth. Oh yeah, I forgot. Casey Jones was born on May twenty fifth, and Bill Sharman. You know, both hey. uh, Celtics guards. So here's the complete list. We got we got Kendall Gill. Um, we have somebody named Alan Hardy who played in nineteen fifty seven. Um, Marcelo Huertas. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Alan Hardy was born in 1957. Marcelo Huertas, who was born in 1983. Casey Jones, as mentioned, born in 32. Mark Jones, um, who played uh, 10 games, uh, was born in 75. Dino Martin. Hey. I, I, I miss the NBA with guys named Dino Martin. You know, used to play. Right? That's when the league was the league. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ain't no Dino Martins anymore in the league, and that's, uh, no, that's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Norm Powell is. Uh, oh, hey, yeah, yeah. Um, Raptors legend Norm Powell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bill Sharman, as mentioned, 1926. Um, uh, Paul Thompson and Derek Williams, born in 91. Derek Williams. So this is the Derek Williams, the Minnesota oh, yeah, Timberwolves. Yeah. Derek oh, yeah, Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah the one, one that uh, like. I always thought would be really, really good. He just is right. not that good. <laughs> like he's yeah. fine. Like, number two overall pick. Uh, yeah, I remember being like, yeah. "Whoa!" I remember during the NBA draft watching clips. I'm like, six, eight. Oh my god, this guy's gonna yeah, be incredible. Yeah, gonna be great. Yes. Uh, uh, so, eh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dino Martin played for the um, Providence uh, Steamroll. You know the, uh, the hell yeah. Yeah, we, everybody, we love some steamrollers. He played on the the team that finished six and forty two. So. Uh, <laughs> 
That was his last uh, year in the uh, league. He was pretty good his first year. Yeah, you know? yeah. Look, yeah, that's, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah. Old uh, old Dino Martin was uh, yeah, probably the best player on the uh, on the other steamrollers. Yeah, twenty eight and thirty two steam. You know, that was a that was a solid team. You know, back when men were men and they were steamrolling through the league. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, not like today. Now, now when we've got our no. you know our Norman Powells and our yeah yeah a bunch of Williams. flopping. Yeah, Dino Martin right. was a flop. Are you kidding? No, or? no. Yeah, he was, <laughs> you know, he was a loyal dinosaur for, for for Fred and for Wilma. You know, he, he, he wasn't even flopping around exactly. All Apparently right, he coached at uh, Boston College for for almost a decade ah, as well. So, so good go. for him. Yeah, probably, probably better known for that. So, but we he don't stopped in 1962. Basketball. So I know you're not up oh, on your 1962 <laughs> college basketball. So yeah. I okay. Well, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but uh, but I thank you for uh, for. <laughs> Dig into that. So yeah, um, we've gone astray as uh, we occasionally do, but uh, since it is not my birthday, but it is uh, time for uh, to return to our topic of a prior show and looking at the longest consecutive seasons of having an under five hundred record. So to review for the um, the first uh, episode. We talked about the 2007 to 21 Sacramento Kings, who have just, of course, accomplished that feat of 15 seasons. And they have tied their own feat of 1984 to 1998. Uh, they started that in Kansas City and ended it in Sacramento. And then the uh, the Detroit, uh, Fort Wayne Detroit Pistons had 14 seasons in a row between 1957 and 1970. And then we closed with the Minnesota Timberwolves from 2006 to 2017, uh, the end of the KG era and into the uh, into the Kevin Love era, and then finally uh, into the Cat era. So, um, and uh, it's sort of been a one season respite for otherwise uh, not so good stuff there in uh, Minnesota. But yeah, they may have started a whole new era. That we could talk yeah, about. yeah, I don't right. know. I don't know. Yeah. If, uh, and Twelve years, maybe. Yeah, yeah, twelve years. We'll be talking about them again, perhaps. Yeah, the way things know. are going. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> not, not great. Yeah. <laughs> But so, uh, it's time to yeah. talk some Clippers. Let, let's oh, like, we got to get yeah. Clippers action going Clippers. in here. I can't we, wait. We yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. It's been too long. All right. So the the first set of Clippers we'll talk about. There's there's a couple sets here. <laughs> uh, Twelve seasons between 1980 and 1991. Now this is a, a part of a 15 year stretch of uh, playoff list basketball, which the Kings also just tied the Clippers ready, but the Clippers actually did have a winning season uh, in this period early on in which they did not make the playoffs. Um, So as as, uh, should be obvious here, the number of times they were in the playoffs during this time was uh, zero. Uh, Looking at some of the key events uh, during this time. So 1980, uh, they get new free agent signee, Bill Walton. And uh, you know, Go on coming out of, off of injury, but you know it seemed like he was you know going to be back. It seemed like he was going to be okay. You know it was new. Uh, it was great times in San Diego with the Clippers. He was joining you know, a team that the prior year they'd won forty three games, didn't make the playoffs, but only one game or, or so out of it. You know they'd world be free. Who I think had led the league in scoring or was number two in scoring the previous year. They had Swen Nader, they had Brian Taylor, Sidney Wicks. It's toward the end of his career, but you know still an okay contributor. So they, they had some names there. They had some guys um, who. People felt could contribute, but unfortunately, Walton only plays 14 games with a foot injury um, that season. And then he would miss entirely the next two seasons and only play 169 out of a possible 492 games from 1980 to 1985. So 
kind of dooming that era of the Clippers there where, um, you know, they can't get Bill Walton on the floor. And, you know, what's what's interesting we'll discuss later is that you can sort of argue that Walton, despite the limited action, was still the greatest positive contributor <laughs> to the franchise out of this time, which is just something that's um, that's pretty wild. Yeah, definitely added like a, a an air of respectability uh, to them, which, which which certainly helped. And and like you said, anytime he did play, which was very infrequently, uh, he was pretty good. And and yeah, it was yeah. it was just like, hey, a player that's okay and used to be good at basketball or is still kind of good at basketball uh, wants to play for our team. And that <laughs> low bar, but it's the Clippers. So, um, but hey, you know what? Things are going to get a lot better in 1981 because new ownership is coming in, Jason. Oh yeah, you know, yeah right this ship. Right. <laughs> sure. um, yeah, Ir- Irv Levin isn't cutting it, so he sells to. Uh, let me check this. Uh, Donald. Stern. Oh shit! All right, never mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> never mind. It's gonna suck for another few decades. Crap. All right, never mind. Yeah, yeah. Real real estate developer and uh, a, a <laughs> professional douche. Yeah, professional right. douchebag. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Twelve point five million dollars. Uh, then uh, the team. Um, you know, 82, they, they draft Terry Cummings, number two overall, obviously a, a good pick. Um, but, you know, they uh, have a tendency not to hold on to young players. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, September 1982, an NBA committee of owners recommends that Donald Sterling's ownership be terminated, founding, uh, finding that he was late in paying creditors and players. We could have done it here. It could have been yes. all over. Could happen, yeah. They had they did schedule a vote in October of 82 to remove Sterling, but then he agreed to sell the team the league sought buyers who would uh, keep the franchise in San Diego. The, the Sterling had already sought to move the team to LA, um, which the NBA didn't want because they had the Lakers. They're like, eh, what, second team in LA, what's the point of that? So, but by early 83, uh, David Stern, who was then the league uh, vice president, I'm not sure if he was definitely going to become commissioner yet, but he was definitely on track for that. Um, he called the Clippers a first-class franchise, and the ouster of Sterling was no longer pursued. So, yes, yeah, David, come on, right? <laughs> like, even yeah. if you want to say that we're not going to pursue, you can't call that a quote first-class. I mean, there's nothing no. at no. this time that's first-class about the San Diego Clippers. Come on, no, come on. It, is, it is not, unfortunately. Yes, um, it, yeah, and not to get too far off track, but this is you know it was around this time, eighty-two, eighty-three, where you know, it looks like there's like six or so teams that are like in financial peril and the NBA had serious, you know, discussions about contracting the league and, you know, removing, I mean, the Pacers and mm-hmm. the Clippers you know, and the, the Nuggets and, you know, a couple other teams were, you know, they were really serious about it. And then a few months later, um, you know, finances started to turn around um, and, and they were able to, you know, kind of, you know, I think obviously the bird magic and Jordan effect eventually, you know, led the team to um, have better revenues and, you know, other things that kind of, you know, the collective bargaining agreement kind of was able to save that, but, but they were, we were definitely close, probably close to the people realized to having you know, some crack contraction during that time, which obviously would you know change the course of NBA history. So um, 1983, a uh, couple of big trades. Uh, the uh, first of all, the uh, Clippers trade away Tom Chambers, uh, who uh, you know was another of their uh, dynamic young players. A uh, little bit overlap with Terry Cummings, but still, you know, kind of weird. <laughs> can't have two. Can't have two good players at the same right. time. <laughs> yeah, you got to pay. The problem is you got to pay those players, and that I mean, that's you know, I don't really do that. Right you know. now, you know, they get James Donaldson, who was you know pretty good bat, big man. They got a you know a couple picks. One of them turned out to be Michael Cage. So you know, not like the worst <laughs> trade ever, but definitely like yeah. you know, yeah, they also it, traded once he got cut too. But right, that's a yeah, story well, for another that's day. That's so, that's or later, and then and then yes, they traded um, 
they traded Swen Nader and Byron Scott, who they drafted, you know, uh, already that in the 83 draft. He never played for the Lakers or Clippers, but he was, you know, there up until um, around the beginning of the season. They, uh, the, the big key is they received uh, Norm Nixon um, out of there. And also a second round pick that ended up being Jeff uh, Hornacek. Uh, so interesting there. And, and that actually like, like Norm Nixon actually played really well for them, but Norm Nixon, uh, <laughs> dealt with a lot of injuries uh, during that time and was unable to be effective. But when he did play, he actually was really good. It wasn't necessarily like, uh, you know, an awful trade. I mean, Nixon was a, you know, still relatively yeah. young, you know, um, had been an all-star guard was, you know, that, that was, you know, not at all uh, on paper, a bad trade, but yeah, that ended up uh, being another one of the uh, Clipper blunders during that time. Yeah. And of course, Hornacek would never, would never actually play for them. He'd, he'd get by. And right. he, his, his draft pick would get traded a bunch of times. It wasn't yeah, just, it was, it went to the, yeah. It yeah. went to the Pistons and then eventually it went to the, yeah. Sure. And, and the, the 76ers and yeah, they just drafted this guy, and they, you know, whatever. Hey, here's this guy. And, you know, Carver got a great NBA career or a really, really good NBA career. But yeah, that's right. We're not going to take that one against the, uh, the, the, the Clippers. That wasn't a sure thing. Like some of these other guys that they've tried to trade. So, yeah. So before the 85 season, um, despite pending lawsuits between the uh, the team's ownership and the NBA, the Clippers, uh, they, they're like, well, we're playing in Los Angeles. So we're so uh, too bad, guys. We're the Los Angeles Clippers now. We deal with it. So they play. Uh, end up playing By the way, the end. you're not joking. That's exa- essentially how it went is they just said, right. no, we yeah. play in Los Angeles now. They're like, no, you don't. And they're like, yeah, we do. <laughs> like, yeah. Of course like, we do. Look, we're here. We're here. <laughs> we're here and we play we're, basketball here. So this is where we Los are Angeles now. We're in the Los Angeles Memorial so. Sports Arena here. I don't right. know what you're talking about. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it wasn't much smoother than that. It was essentially no. just like, yeah. no. San Diego, yeah. San Diego. No, we never. We don't play in San Diego. What are you talking San about? Diego. Never, never heard of it. Who, who where is that? We don't play in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. Or Carmen San Diego? No, I yeah, don't know. I, I don't us. know where I don't know where she is. But um, on the eve of the season, uh, in September of '84, they trade Terry Cummings, Craig Hodges, and Ricky Pierce to the Milwaukee Bucks for Junior Bridgman, Harvey Catchings, Marcus Johnson, and Cash. Now, Marcus Johnson, awesome player, still really good. You know, he's older than Terry Cummings, but uh, again, on paper, not necessarily the worst trade. Johnson having um, you know, being a UCLA guy having. Uh, him in LA you know, that helps local market. I, I get at least what they're thinking. Um, even though, you know, you're getting rid of a, a younger, probably you know, soon to be better player. Um, but yeah, this is around the time in which man, the injuries just pile up for them. Uh, there's the phenomenon that is called by sports writers, the Clipper triangle where they just have a, you know, a, a terrible set of injuries over the next few seasons um Derek Smith who was like a you know rising young star suffers a knee injury during the 86 season never the same Norm Nixon as we mentioned has uh knee injuries Marcus Johnson has a spinal cord injury um basically you know ending his career just a couple years later um Nixon also has has an Achilles tendon in the 88 season after he came back and was actually you know kind of good for a little bit so just um really just the the most horrible luck um and then 85 NBA draft third overall pick. They, they draft Benoit Benjamin. That's good, right? (laughs) I can't imagine that's good. I mean, it's Benoit Benjamin. He's, he's, he's tall. He's, he's good. Like this is going to work. Yeah. I think it's going to work. I think it's going to work. I, I I don't, uh, I don't see any reason why not. So, I think Big Ben's going to come to uh, <laughs> to, the, yeah. to Los Angeles and really get this Big, this, this franchise yeah. on track. I'm sure. Yeah, B- Big Ben Ben that'd have been a good nickname for him. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. We should have thought maybe if he had had better marketing, maybe he'd be better remembered. I don't know. Or if he was but, good, <laughs> might have felt right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and we'll get into him a little bit more later about about you know how 
bad or good he was. But um, yeah, in, in like 85 draft, not the best one ever or anything, but you know, they could have picked Xavier McDaniel. They could have picked Chris Mullen, Detlef Shrimp, Charles Oakley, or if they'd been really clairvoyant, Carl Malone or Joe Dumars. Now, you know, um, it's hard. Or, you know, honestly, they, it could have been worse. They, at the the fifth overall pick was John Konkak, and the mm. sixth overall pick was Joe Klein. So, yeah, those uh, sound like very Clippers picks, too. So, yeah, you know right. what? That's, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll let them slide here on this Benoit Benjamin. A, so. l- a little bit, yeah. Um, and then, you know, the 86-87 season, they draft – or they hire – Elgin Baylor as general manager. And uh, we talked about that in a recent episode on Baylor's passing, unfortunately not the, the best record there, but also didn't have all to work with. So um, we'll, we'll give him a little bit of a pass on that. Uh, 1988, Danny Manning drafted number one overall in 88 draft. Hey, no brainer at the time. He was an excellent player, you know, but been awesome in college, led Kansas, you know, with our, uh, uh, our previous episode, I mentioned our, our good friend, Larry Brown, you know, uh, the, uh, in the uh, coaching there at uh, Kansas. Uh, and yeah, he stayed at Kansas, of course, forever. And, and it didn't leave just immediately after that for the NBA. Um, but back to Danny Manning, unfortunately, he injured his ACL in 1989. Uh, never, you know, quite a star player, though. He, you know, he played a pretty key role on the early 90s team that finally made the playoffs. So, um, you know, had a good career, but not what you would expect out of that. And the injury certainly um, did not help. So another, another aspect of, it wasn't just bad management and bad ownership. It was also a lot of bad luck. Um, 1989, uh, they make a good trade. Uh, they trade uh, Danny Ferry, who had been, I think, the number two overall pick, didn't want to play there. And they're like, all right, we'll ship you out. We'll bring in Ron Howard, who's actually a good player. And uh, they didn't keep Ron Howard that long. But, hey, they brought him in when he was good. They probably got the best and most productive years out of him and, uh, you know, kind of formed the basis of the team. Uh, that you know really helped them you know finally you know have some decent seasons in the early 90s absolutely yeah yeah it ended up being a pretty good good trade there yeah it, it you know drafting Danny Ferry when he says hey I really don't want to play for you guys like don't pick me and they pick him anyway uh that could have been even more disastrous than it was but ended up working out okay for for, for them and uh, and getting someone like a Ron Harper and and, right. and even a you know a, a first round pick you know a few years down the line that, that ended up being Lloyd Vaught who who you know not a tremendous player uh, at all, but uh, Loivaud ended up becoming a pretty good player for the Clippers as well. So they got a lot of value out of a guy with you know they almost had zero leverage in this case. Where Danny Ferry was just right. like, look, I'll just play any, I'll play in Italy. I'll play in Italy. I don't, yeah, yeah, I'm whatever. not going to yeah. play for you. Like, right. I, like you, you can keep me all you want. I'm never coming to play for this team because you guys are, are terrible and I don't want to play for you. So you know, sure. given that amount of leverage, the idea that they were able to get you know Ron Harper, uh, a, a first round pick, uh, and a first round pick for that for you know Danny Ferry, that, that, not bad, not bad at all. So yeah. I wonder why Danny Ferry didn't like the Clippers. I mean, it could have been the racism. Yeah, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> right? I was going to say. <laughs> he didn't know. He was like, they're a bad team. They're uh, racist. He's like, oh, hold on. Oh, like, okay. hey. I mean, I'm interested. Uh, Keep talking. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, so, anyway, um, best player of this era for the Clippers. Well, you know, um, we've already talked about, hey, the Clippers actually had a lot, quite a few talented players during this era, but none of them really lasted for very long. We just for reasons discussed above. So, if you're looking at the value over replacement stat from the Clippers of this era, you actually, the n- number one on here is Benoit Benjamin. Um, and he is a, a 5.8 value over replacement. Now you know, may not have a lot of context uh, for value replacement. So, you know, uh, Benjamin's on the, on the team, you know, we're counting him for 86 to 91. So, you know, five, six seasons um, looking at magic Johnson's value of replacement for the same time period 42.3 so you know it, you're talking about one of the best players in the league that's the value you get from them Benoit Benjamin you get you know about six so hey it may not be fair to compare Benoit Benjamin to Magic Johnson but we just did it and there's nothing you can do about it so I'd be sad um 
you look at the number two player on this list, Bill Walton, a 5.3 value of replacement, not that far, but he played in only 169 games where Walton played in 406. Now, again, the fact that you could even make a minor statistical case that broken down, barely can stay on the floor, Bill Walton was the best clipper of this era. This is a whole lot here. You know, his numbers, you know, for the time, you know, 12 points per game on 55 true shooting, nine rebounds, three assists per game, you know, solid numbers, nothing spectacular, but, you know, solid numbers, all things considered. Um, but again, the, the availability was the issue for him. So probably the most sensible choice here, uh, Cherry Cummings, you know, only played two seasons here, but, you know, averaged 23.3 points per game, 10.1 rebounds per game. 151 games, and he's third on this list of the value of replacement players. So I, I would say, um, given a lack of other good choices um, for you know this time, I'm I'm saying that we're going to go with Terry Cummings. I think that's fair. Yeah, it, it's 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 so pathetic that Bill Walton you can really make a case for him. But uh, yeah, right. I, I I agree. I, I think we go with Terry Cummings there, and and uh, yeah, that's. It sucks because, like you said, there are a lot of decent players there. There's just a lot of guys that are like, hey, that guy's an okay player. But it's like, yeah, they're only there for two years or three years or something like that or a year. Or they're barely, you know, so. Sure. Uh, uh, but, yeah, I, I think Terry Cummins is, is a great pick here. Yeah. So coaching changes, we we start with Gene Chu. Uh, then we get Paul Silas just after he retired as a player. We got we got Jin Lynham. We got Don Chaney, uh, who was a midseason replacement. Uh, then we got Gene Chu coming in, uh, number two, uh, twice that Jim Shu, that Gene Chu gets to enjoy this era. Then we get Don Casey, and then we get Mike Schuler, um, who would eventually get replaced in 1992 when when the team finally um, made the playoffs. So, um, so those are the Clippers coaches during that time. Best season out of this era would be probably the '81 season. Um, the right beginning of it, they were 36 and 46. Uh, it was the first year for uh, Paul Silas. He got solid seasons out of uh, Swen Nader and Phil Smith. Uh, and Freeman Williams had 19.3 points per game in just 24 minutes per game. <laughs> My guy. I love yes. it. <laughs> this um, is 45th all-time for points per 36 minutes in a season. This is since 74. That would be 28.9 um, points per 36 minutes. Uh, he's only one of 31 players to reach this threshold, and he's the only one who was never an All-Star. So that is your Free- Freeman Williams fact for the day. There you go. I love it. Get those shots, man. You know what I mean? When you're yeah. in there, make the most of your minutes. I love it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, worst season, yeah, so a lot of choices here. But the 87 season, they were 12-70 and 70 with an 11, a negative 11 SRS. It's the third worst winning uh, win-loss percentage in BAA in NBA history at the time uh now we're in seventh so still so pretty bad and the ninth worst ever in srs uh also the 88 and 89 clippers who had better records but were among the 22 worst teams ever um in srs so those three see that three season stretch for the uh, clippers probably if you're going to look at any three season stretch in nba history for worst that's probably uh, up there in terms of that even yeah. right right there with Right there, probably even worse than the process Sixers, you know. Definitely, um, yeah, definitely there. Yeah, the 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 nineties, you know, Mavericks that like ninety two to ninety five right. Mavericks are, are right up there. But uh, yeah, sure, this sure. is this is legendary <laughs> bad. I mean, this is just yes. three just absolutely horrendous, nothing happening seasons for the Clippers. 
Uh, and it, the, the juxtaposition of the Clippers doing this while across town, you know, the Lakers, are the, the, you know, the Showtime Lakers, you know, wrapping up, you know, another championship and championship after championship, NBA final berth after NBA final berth with, a, you know, the most popular player in the league and Magic. It's just like, God, just imagine, imagine being a Clipper, like a real Clippers fan, you, you know, like, I, I don't know why you would be. I mean, first off, what are you doing? And second off, like, man, that's just got to be just absolutely brutal as you're sitting there, you know, and watching the 1988 Los Angeles Clippers being like, nope, this is this is L.A.'s team, yeah. baby. Like, yeah. this is this team is the one that represents Los Angeles. True. Sure. Through, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 Billy Crystal out there. Just yeah, right. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. it. Yeah, so. yeah, this is this is what I want. I, I want me some Benoit Benjamin. Give it to me. All right. Yeah, more Give me Benoit. the Benjamin. I'll, I'm all about the Benoit Benjamin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's incredible. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, hey, speaking of the Clippers, we got uh, more Clippers action here. How about that? So, uh, yeah. 1994 to oh. 2000. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We we've got some breaking news. We got what? something really important about to the talk 1994 about Clippers. Breaking news right now about the 1994 Clippers. Get out of here. But go ahead. And not about the 94 Clippers, oh. but it, but it is related to Clippers because Manscape.com. We've got something that they, that uh, we got a PSA brought to us by Manscape.com. It's the news that we've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created. Get this. The Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. Nice, nice job. Now guys. available for, for purchase. And, you know, we were the one of the first to get our hands on it and to share the news. Just incredible stuff. Yes, the advanced ceramic blade skin safe technology. It's so, so good that it almost seems as a manscaped worked with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure that your testes are as safe as as possible. So what makes yeah. this trimmer different than all other trimmers? Well, let me tell you right now. A new multifunction on and off switch can engage a travel lock, which is created for people who like to travel. So that's good if you don't want it to start buzzing in your uh, you know, your luggage. You have the travel lock that you can do there. You also, Lawnmower 4.0 also gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on or off when needed for a more precise shave. The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all over through additional guard lengths of sizes one to four. So if you just want to trim up a little bit, you can do it. If you want to trim it all off, you can do that. And looks lies, it's sleek with a two-tone matte and gloss finish that each even features a hot foil stamped black chrome Manscaped logo. You can show off that mower loud and proud. Yeah, and the optimized lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, it's waterproof. You can groom the shower. You don't have to make worry about making a mess in the bathroom floor. It's always problematic for me. It definitely great if you could do it in the shower. And also, hey, wireless charging. The new wireless charging system, the Lawnmower 4.0, it uses electromagnetic induction, which can help your battery length last longer. And you know, absolutely, you know, if it's going to be buzzing in your suitcase and you need that battery length to last longer, exactly. luckily. You know, with the lock, it's not going to be a problem. But you know, if if you make a mistake, you don't turn on the lock, your your battery's still going to be good. So, so great stuff. And you know, honestly, if you're still trimming your face with your ball trimmer, time to make some changes. Yeah, what are you doing? Really need to go with Manscaped. You know. Yeah, what are you, what are you doing here? But thankfully, yeah. uh, you can get twenty percent off plus free shipping right now with code Fansided twenty. Uh, at manscaped.com again 20% off and free shipping with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com once again 20% off plus free shipping use that code fansided20 unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with manscaped yeah 
All right. Now I think we're some other clippers that <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Clippers that will make you sad and and, and make right. things hurt and bleed. It's the uh, Los Angeles Clippers. They're back. Yes. Hey. Hey, hey. They're back. Another 12 years. 1994 to 2005. So uh one time they made the playoffs in this era, 1997. So congratulations to the uh, Los Angeles Clippers yeah. for 36 and 46. It, so. uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Western, the Western Conference guy is not always good. It's been good for the last you know 20 years, but there was a time when it was bad too. So uh, and sometimes the Clippers would luck in and, and make the playoffs during this period. So uh, major franchise events that happened, you know, kind of during this area. Uh, of course, one that we have talked about many, many times: trading Danny Manning for Dominique Wilkins. A a, uh, a trade that I think on a, a previous episode, a few episodes ago, we we justified this trade for for uh, for both teams and said it well, was actually not, you know, to an extent. We played a little devil's advocate. Right. I mean, I wouldn't do it, but it was yeah. We we justified the reasons why you might want to do it, but we probably said that hey, you probably shouldn't have done it anyway. But hey, you know what? Sure. sure. The Clippers wanted them some Dominique Wilkins, and they got some Dominique Wilkins. But. Hey. Uh, Three months, Dominic Wilkins is better than the underdog. Exactly right. So what they also yeah. tried to do during this era that did not work out, they tried to move to Anaheim. So it's a, con- right. a, a constant thing with Donald Sterling is looking for you know what else, yeah. what he can do in the next payday coming up. So uh, him, from, and, him and Larry Brown, they just yeah. love to move on. Yeah, <laughs> they love yeah. the next thing. So yeah, right. uh, 1994 to 1999, they played several games at the Arrowhead Pond of Anaheim, also the home of uh, WrestleMania 12. And WrestleMania nice. 2000, I believe, as well. So yeah, so yeah. <laughs> there you go. Our, so uh, some of our favorite WrestleManias. Yeah, the two of the uh, charter, two of the best WrestleManias ever, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, four McMahon's and four corners. What can go wrong? <laughs> what you know? could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, Clippers games uh, did actually draw a much higher average attendance per game at the Arrowhead Pond than they did at their home games at the Los Angeles Sports Arena, which makes sense oh, because if you're in Los Angeles, never. why the hell would you go to a Clippers game? So right. Yeah. Uh, I get it. It makes sense. So they, yeah. they do that from 1994 to 1997. They draw an average of 16,000 fans per game uh, at the Airhood Pond, while when they're in Los Angeles, they get around 9,200 per home game. So uh, Anaheim officials and the Clippers have ongoing talks about moving to Anaheim full-time uh, before that pond is a, uh, even a, a built as well. So this is the conversation that happens even before this. Uh, and then Don Sterling, of course, at this time was pursuing options to play elsewhere in the uh, uh, L.A. area while the, uh, uh, you know, he was looking for a replacement for the sports arena, saying, "Hey, we can't keep playing here. This arena's old right. and bad, and you know right. my team is great, but this arena's old and bad. And you need to figure sure. this out." Yeah, yeah like. right. I mean, you know, after after the stink of WrestleMania Seven, you know, I can't I can't play my team here anymore. You know, <laughs> right. after right. after enduring Sergeant Slaughter versus Hulk Hogan, you know, here I just I yeah, can't do it. Anymore, I'm done. You know? Yeah, we gotta yeah. leave this. We gotta leave this place. This place is permanently right. scarred forever. So, right, um, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, in 1997, they almost make it happen. They nearly moved to Anaheim permanently. Uh, According to a Los Angeles Times article uh, from June of 1996, owner Donald Sterling turned down a deal that would have paid the team $95 million over 12 years. So they actually try to make it happen, but for whatever reason, which is probably leverage for a new building in Los Angeles, uh, Donald Sterling decides, nah, I don't really want $95 million over 12 years. Uh, So essentially then they do even more stuff here. The Ogden Corporation, who at the time managed the pond, and the city of Anaheim offered the Clippers a multi-tier deal uh, that would have included upwards of $33 million paid to the team over the first six years uh, of their agreement. Uh, and then, obviously, a bunch of other stuff as well. Uh, Ogden and Sterling were in talks to have the management company take care of the Clippers' day-to-day operations as well. So they would have really been weirdly kind of like owned by the stadium. That <laughs> It's very strange stuff. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but what's going on at the time is the Walt Disney Corporation, who owns the uh, Anaheim Ducks and the Anaheim Angels, also were trying to get involved in the mix, too, and you know get some partial ownership 
uh, of the Clippers. And, uh, you know, also a thing that if I was down Sterling, I would have definitely got involved with, uh, given where things would go. Uh, they were also trying to do a regional sports network as well in Southern California that would have been a collection of the Anaheim Ducks, the Anaheim Angels, and the, you know, Anaheim Clippers or whatever you're going to call the Clippers uh, that move there. But that never happens. ESPN West never comes to fruition. Uh, that never happens. And then um, the Staples Center is built. And Donald Stern decides, ah, you know what? Yeah, actually, I'm fine with L.A. L.A.'s fine. So um, he then becomes tenants with the Lakers and the Los Angeles Kings in the brand-new Staples Center. So uh, was it a real flirtation or just leverage? I'll let, uh, I'll let you decide. But um, Yeah, yeah. Anaheim's always the bridesmaid, never the, uh, never yeah. the bride. Yeah, yeah, the Kings uh, did the same thing. Apparently, it's part of uh, having a uh, you know terrible uh, stretch of <laughs> basketballs you have to start with Anaheim, you know, in right. order yeah, right. to really cement the deal. So, yes, good times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, things weren't really necessarily a whole lot better on the court. Uh, and, you know, the drafting decisions, you know, we talked about earlier on, uh, it's a lot of bad luck, some bad decisions, but, you know, one uh, decision that was definitely not great is uh, drafting uh, Michael Olakandi at number one uh, overall in the uh, 1998 draft. Not uh, did not work out uh, particularly well. No, and it's it's not a great draft, but yeah, uh, the Candyman at number one definitely did not work. Uh, and they tried a lot of things to get the Candyman to work. They even hired Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as a coach, which uh, I guess through osmosis, they're like, "Hey, Kareem, just <laughs> tell him what yeah, to do." And he's just like, "I don't yeah. know what to do." Like, yeah, I don't know, I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. What hell? What am I hell? I teach this kid. Like, I don't know. Be yeah. better. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was good. Why do what I do. Good? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I was really good. Just try doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it did not work. Time. Kareem did not last there. He said, this guy sucks. I'm done. <laughs> and yeah. left. So yeah. um, eventually, though, after a few years of uh, hopelessness, they do finally draft some fun and good players as well. A combination of fun and good, which is very rare uh, in, sure. in Clippers land. Lamar Odom, Darius Miles, Quinton Richardson. Uh, they'd make a huge dra- uh, 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 deal here too, where they you know they draft Tyson Chandler and then trade him to the Chicago Bulls for Elton Brand, which is actually a pretty interesting thing uh, as right. well because Elton Brand brought a lot of stability to that team, really got things together, and arguably I'd say he's the best player of this era uh, uh, oh, of yeah. Clippers basketball. I mean his uh, his win shares of forty one point four. Uh, far exceed anybody else. I mean, the honorable mentions, Corey Maggette at 28.9, Eric Piakowski at 27.6. <laughs> I mean, that is not good. Eric Piakowski oh, yeah. is one of your top four, uh, one of the top three players for win shares over a course of 12 years. Uh, sure. And then the aforementioned Lloyd Vaught also um, 23.5 uh, during this era as well. So it's it's pretty much unquestionably Elton Brand. Uh, that, that that makes this team you know pretty good and and you know we're, we end this you know segment at, at, at 2005 and that's really because Elton Brand is is like ha- has like a career year in 2005 and the team's like actually good and actually makes like an okay playoff run like we're not going to talk about that here but yeah it like there was a period where it was like hey wait man, the Clippers may have figured this out and obviously things would kind of go awry uh, until you know the, the Chris Paul Blake Griffin era but uh, yeah this is the the first time of of real the end of this era is the first time of real. Uh, kind of enjoyment uh, and, and hope for the Clippers in, in, in many, many, many years. Uh, coaching changes, uh, many along the way. Bob Weiss, Bill Fitch, Chris Ford, Jim Todd, Alvin Dentry, Dennis Johnson, and then finally Jason's favorite coach of all time, Mike Dunleavy. My favorite, uh, yeah, absolutely. I love myself some Mike Dunleavy, and I really love myself some Mike Dunleavy Jr. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's neck favorite. and neck. Yeah, your favorite player and your favorite coach. And, and yeah, when, they, when the two combined at, at, at certain points, it was just uh, – yeah, it was too much for you. So. so the Clippers have not had a losing season since 2011. Wow. 
Yeah, they have had a winning season. They've been over. Yeah, six, I guess it makes yeah. sense. But damn, all right. right yeah, they've uh, they've had a, a winning percentage of better than five eighty five, so forty eight wins outside of one season. Um, the twenty eighteen, they were forty two and forty. Uh, so yeah, I mean they've <laughs> they've been remarkably good. I mean, obviously they haven't had the playoff success, but um, you know they, they've been they've really been a remarkably good franchise uh, over the past decade. Um, you know, kind of quietly. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like you think about it like every year, like, yeah, they've had good players and yeah, they've had a good success, but yeah, sustained success. They haven't had the major dips that you kind of would expect during that time. So yeah, anyway. Yeah, um, got things on track there, but uh, sure. so the best season of this era, probably 2002. So as we said, they make the playoffs in 1997, but they do so with a 36 and 46 record. Uh, but I really do think the best season is this 2002 season because this is when it, it, it feels. It's like a feel thing at the time where they actually finally seem like they had righted the ship a little bit. Uh, they finished the year 39 and 43. They just barely missed the playoffs as well. Uh, this is the year that they trade second overall pick Tyson Chandler for Elton Brand. Uh, the Bulls want to get younger and, and more dynamic, and the Clippers say, hey, there's a guy that's pretty good and averaging 20 points a game and can bring some stability to this team, and he absolutely does. I mean, it would be a lot of fun to see Tyson Chandler with these other guys, but uh, sure. it definitely works a lot better with Elton Brand here because he joins the core of Lamar Odom, who was kind of the do-everything, exactly like you know Lamar Odom was. He was a do-everything kind of guy, just a crazy, like sort of the original unicorn uh, uh, of this era who could you know play point guard and center and, and, and do pretty much everything on the court. Uh, Quentin Rich who was, was a great shooter. Uh, Corey Maggette, a, a, a good defender, kind of a, a, a burly guy, could get down and, and get fouled. And then Darius Miles, who was just awesome and had a headband, so it was pretty cool. So yeah, things hey, go uh, lots of headbands there. Yeah, That's so good, it goes, yeah. yeah, a lot of, lot of, yeah. a lot of touching the headbands. Like, they were a cool, yeah. for the first time ever, they were cool. Like, yeah, they were they on were, covers of Slam. It was like, hey, the Clippers yeah. are kind of cool, actually. So Yeah, they were your hipster team. You yes, know? yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, but they, yeah, they had a, a, a point there where it looked like they were going to be, yeah, kind of that new, that new wave of the NBA of you know all these swingmen and all these um you know all these lengthy guys and just everybody being able to do everything and exciting stuff and yeah you know various things happened you know Odom you know ended up you know not not doing well there and and heading out and you know but, but yeah I mean they you know like like you alluded to you know Maggetti um stuck around and of course um you know Brand kind of was the centerpiece there and they they put together some you know um decent teams you know i i i hate to give mike dunlevy too much credit but yeah and he was a good coach there for uh, quite mm-hmm. a while as well so um yeah yeah but but back to 2002 yeah so the team is uh they're 36 and uh 33 at one point in mid-march they lose seven of their final 10 games and finish below 500 and out of the playoffs uh, utah gets the eighth seed with a 44 and uh, 38 record uh brando selected to the 2002 all-star game your first clippers all-star since danny manning was selected in 1994 so yeah, things are starting to look up for the Clippers. Well, not really. So yeah. <laughs> they have many, many bad years, and then they'd have a good Perfect. year, and then they'd have some bad years, and then they would have this run that we're talking about now. So hey, sure, sure, yeah. ends up working out pretty well. So the worst season during this era, unquestionably, the 1999 season. The year starts off with hope as the Clippers get the number one overall pick, and they decide to draft Michael Olwakandi. And believe it or not, oh, yeah. like you know, the idea is that like Michael Olwakandi got in the league and immediately was just like, oh god, this guy's terrible and can't do anything. I, his NBA debut wasn't bad. He scores 14 points, has three straight double doubles uh, 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 as well, or uh, three straight double double uh, double digit scoring games, I should say. Uh, no. uh, the problem was he had a lot of fouls. He was fouling out of pretty much every game that he was in, and eventually uh, that guy doesn't catch up with you. But overall, I mean, the year he finished the year 8.9 points per game and 7.9 rebounds per game. So he's not bad. I mean, for a rookie, 
a guy that had only started playing basketball like three years prior or whatever it was. I mean, that's not that bad. Like, it's okay. Right. The problem was is he doesn't really improve all that much. He doesn't get much better over the years. He starts to kind of lose interest in the game. Everybody said the, the, the mounting expectations kind of kind of doom him. But, you know, I don't know. Like, it, you know, the question of it was, was it a bad pick at the time? Like, you, you know, it's easy to say that now. But uh, there's some, you know, I found some quotes here. Uh, Stu Jackson, who was the uh, Grizzlies executive at this time, which I guess, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, not I mean, it's the Grizzlies. Exe- I mean, it's yeah. not like, well, why would it take it? If it's like, well, yeah, your team won like 12 games. Like, I don't know. Right. I mean, the guys yeah. we should be asking, you know, about <laughs> right. Like, right. what to do. But anyway, that's a, that's a, a veteran NBA guy says, but anyway, I uh, says, quote, they have to take them. You understand that in this league where size is at a premium, you have someone of that size and his athletic ability and your need of a center. They have to take him. I yeah. think they finally realized that. And uh, the Baltimore sure. Sun had, had an article about this as well. It says, Size Matters, unable to resist the potential of a man who made ter- tremendous strides in his three years of organized basketball, the Clippers selected Oliva Candy. Size Matters to the Denver Nuggets, who pulled off a minor surprise of the third pick with uh, 6'11", Rafe LaFrance from Kansas. And Size Matters to the Milwaukee Bucks, who used the ninth pick to select 6'11", Dirk Nowinski from Germany. So for the yeah. Clippers, the uncertainty... A free agent, Isaac Austin, probably had a lot to do with the selection. I love that quote that they're like, oh, man, I guess Isaac's going to leave in free agency. Guys, we need to replace Isaac Austin. So, what do we do? We, yeah. can't, we can't just leave this void that Isaac Austin, this tremendous void sure. that yeah. Isaac Austin is going to leave yeah. for this team. But uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, hope was uh, quickly dashed for the uh, Clippers season here after the the s- solid starts from Michael Wakanda. They lose 17 straight games uh, during the season. They tied the 1989 Miami Heat uh, for the worst start in NBA history. 17 straight games to start the season. Unbelievable. Uh, the team would lose 30 of their first 33 games, as well as the final six games of the season. Uh, their only saving grace, really, was that it was a lockout shortened year. They didn't play all 82 games. Uh, they finished 9-41. and 41. Uh, Only the Grizzlies, the Stu Jackson's Grizzlies, had a worse record, 8-42. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. Um, this is not good. Maurice Taylor leads the team in scoring with 16.8 points per game. That is not good. <laughs> Your no. leading scorer. Uh, it was the era where everybody, nobody could score and everybody was it terrible. Was, but... It was slow down. Yeah, it was, it was like one of the slowest space seasons of all time. Yeah, so that's, it was that's not good. Everybody was kind of fat. Yeah. Nobody was really trying, but still sure. 16.8 points per game is uh, Right. Yeah, that was a tough, a tough schedule. Yeah, yeah. Maurice Taylor uh, leading your team in scoring is, is probably not a good sign. Yeah, yeah, maybe, uh, you know. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, maybe they should have picked uh, Vince Carter or uh, you know Paul Pierce. <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know? Paul Pierce. Yeah, or Dirk Nowitzki. That would have been a strike. No, like, dude. It's, it's, overall, but, the yeah. Grizzlies knew. It. Yeah, I'm trying to think. The Vancouver Grizzlies. Who are their draft? Well, they, is that the year they, they drafted Steve Francis or no? <laughs> no, no. Uh, they picked Mike Bibby. Oh, okay. Uh, size matters. Oh yeah. They, here's this point guard. Then, <laughs> right. And then wait, did they trade Bibby? They traded Bibby for. Um, what happened there? Did Bibby ever play for the Grizzlies, or did, did he? Get, oh yeah, 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 yeah. He did. They traded him for uh, okay. J- uh, Jason Williams uh, eventually okay. a few years later. So that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, good call. Um, yes. So um, yeah. So we got another uh, happy dozen here with the Golden State Warriors uh, of a similar time frame, nineteen ninety five to two thousand and six. Um, they did not make the playoffs at all during that stretch. Um, and looking at some of the major events, uh, October 1994, just predating this, uh, Chris Cohan becomes the uh, new Golden State Warriors owner. And I know that, you know, there are any Warriors fans listening to this just got a shudder up. <laughs> just fine. Yeah, just when I, uh, yeah. yeah, right. When they heard the name Chris Cohan. Um, yes. So, you know, November 
1994, hey, they just had, uh, you know, the guy who was the rookie of the year who they picked number one overall that like, hey, he's going to be the centerpiece of our uh, the next era of franchise. Everything's going to be going good. Uh, yeah, they traded him to the Washington Bullets for Tom Gugliotta and three future first round picks. Uh, that became uh, Todd Fuller in 1996, Vince Carter in 1998, and 2000, uh, uh, Chris Mim in 2000. So, yeah, one of those worked out, but none of them for the Bullets, unfortunately, but um, or for the Warriors, rather, but, but one of those did work out. Um, yeah, so... You know, heading into the 95 season, like things like we're looking pretty good for the um, Warriors in 150 games the, the previous year, as we said, with, you know, Chris Webber being rookie of the year. They had Latrell Spiro in a second year who was like NBA all first team. Uh, they had Chris Malone still who was, you know, you know, a little aging, but still, a, you know, really good player. And then, hey, they had Tim Hardaway coming back, you know, from a uh, I think an ACL issues injury. So um, there's a little bit of a question, but they, they had plenty of talent there. However, um, there had been tensions between Coach Don Nelson and uh, and Chris Webber. He exercised an out clause in his contract after just one year. This was right before you know NBA went to very standard you know rookie contracts with standard you know salary scale and all that good stuff, um, which he prevented that from happening in the future. Um, and yeah, they didn't really have any leverage, so they were like, "All right, we're going to trade uh, Chris Webber for Tom Gugliotta and some draft picks and see how that goes." And it did not go great. No, that that's definitely yeah. It, it's it's a weird era when you read about this stuff and you're like, hey, what the hell? But yeah, this is before the lockouts. Uh, you know, the 1990 lockout where they would kind of get that thing together and they would have just you know every rookie got pretty much the exact same contract or you know depending on where you're drafted, things went up. But yeah, this time it was a wild wild west. I mean, guys got signed for crazy big deals and and they had opt out clause and all this. Sort of, it, it, it's pretty wild. I, I kind of miss these days because it made some some pretty interesting, very strange. Uh, 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 you know. Early, you know, Juwan Howard obviously it was very strange. Well, I mean, Chris Webber and Juwan Howard probably two of the, the the more famous guys that just had like very weird contracts uh, initially as rookies. But uh, yeah, things got regular. It got back on track pretty quickly here uh, for the NBA. But uh, yeah, does not go very well for uh, the Chris Webber Don Nelson era in uh, in Warriorland. Yes, yeah. So uh, yeah, and then you know, um, February '95, Don Nelson, who's been the coach there since I think '89, he resigns. Uh, you know, he's out of there. Uh, just a few days later, they trade Tom Gugliotta to the Timberwolves for Daniel Marshall. So they, they keep getting worse players out of um, <laughs> They turn Chris know. Weber to Daniel Marshall. Yeah, that's right. not great. Yeah, not great. No. 95, hey, they have the first round in the in the draft again. Uh, they pick Joe Smith. Size uh, matters, baby. Yeah, yeah. So Joe Smith, you know, solid NBA player, but he obviously never lived up to that uh, contract. You know, 96 and 97, they're, uh, you eventually, they – Trade away Tim Hardaway to the Miami Heat. They get Bimbo Coles and Kevin Willis. Uh, they trade uh, Chris Mullen to the Pacers for Eric Dampier and Dwayne Farrell. You notice that they keep trading um, better players for worse players. Yeah, they should uh, really try to get a good player in a trade. That might yeah. help this franchise a little might, bit. Might be good, yeah. Uh, 97. While you trade Tim Hardaway and get Bimbo Coles. What are you doing? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah, I don't – I mean, you know, granted, you know, Tim Hardaway, you know, these guys were older. They weren't – you know, they weren't getting fetched like the greatest returns ever, but it seemed like they may be – could have been a little bit better here but anyway uh 97 the they play in the san jose arena while the oakland coliseum is uh being renovated so they're not they're not flirting with anaheim but they spend some time in san jose which you know i think is the other market that gets uh you know that's always like leveraged against whenever a team wants a new arena um 98 draft they uh they draft vince carter uh, with the fifth pick overall in the first round and they trade him and cash to the toronto raptors for and 
Tom Jamison. So yeah, they pick a better player and then trade for a worse one. You know, it's still a good one, but uh, you definitely, you know, looking back on it, you would much rather have uh, Vince Carter's career than Anton Jamison's career. I would, I would say. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. But, it, but that, that's a, that's a decent enough. Tra- I mean, that's a good, like, yeah. Kind of, I mean, it's not terrible. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, good, yeah it's, it's not a huge mistake, but it's, you know, in terms pretty, of like marketing and, and dynamics and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You probably rather have Vince Carter, but you know, Jameson's well, solid enough player. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, I, I'm not trying to disparage the, the good name of Andrew Jameson, but you know, Vince Carter is likely a hall of famer and yes, Andrew Jameson yeah, exactly. is not a hall, not quite a hall of famer, but, you know, so, but yeah, really good player. Really solid career and um, that would end up you know showing them in the 2000 all you know all-star game and dunk contest like hi i was a member of your team and now i'm going to become the most popular player in the league because i do cool dunks and it's like oh right. man well yeah oh, there you go we have the stupid lightning mascot guy so yeah, that's, that's what we got going right. for us so. yeah that's great yeah uh, he had a dumb name too i forget what it is i don't i don't think it I was heard. thunder i think was it thunder yeah. oh okay it was thunder yeah um yeah, before the, the the team was the thunder but uh 1998 uh season we've gone over this in depth so i'll just mention it briefly but we have the latrell spiro uh, choking incident of pedro carlissimo it creates a moral panic throughout the uh, world and everyone hates the nba because of it i'm I'm stretching it of course but there is a lot of outrage about the nba and about you know thug players and not respecting coaches and blah blah yeah I, i don't know what sort of you know um that feeling, you know, emotion that people have about each other could be contributing to, um, you know, these uh, these feelings. Yeah, it's, it's hard to hard to put into words. Uh, or racism. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, that ends with um, after the um, uh, the lockout. The um, the um, Warriors end up trading the Patrol Speed World to the Knicks for Terry Cummings, who's very old by this time, Chris Mills, and, <laughs> okay, and John Cummings now. What are you yeah, doing? <laughs> and, and John Starks. Uh, yeah, again, the trading for worse players, uh, you know, trading your good players for worse ones. They did not have much choice in the situation, but. Um, you just, leverage you know, a little low when you're trying to trade a player that yeah. just choked your coach. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. it, leverage is, is tough. Yeah. Yeah. So. 2001 draft. They have a good one. Um, they draft Jason Richardson in uh, fifth overall in the in the first round. Uh, speaking of you know exciting dunk dunkers, they get yeah. Jason Richardson. They are not not bad. Um, uh, they get Troy Murphy. Uh, you know who was the 14th pick overall in the first round. You know, solid player, pretty good you know, value for that pick. He was a good rebounder. Could shoot some threes. You know for a big man. And then uh, they drafted Gilbert Arenas in the second round, the 31st pick of that draft. So yeah, they get three. Um, you know, they get three contributors two really good contributors there uh 2001 also anton jameson scores 51 points at back-to-back games so take that vince carter you've never done that yeah yeah yeah. um 2002 2003 not many highlights on the court jason richardson wins back-to-back slam dunk contest yeah put some respect on those yeah go back and watch those jason richardson is awesome in those dunk great stuff oh yeah yeah. he was was great yeah probably a little underrated yeah oh absolutely absolutely great dunkers yeah probably I, i would put him in the top 10 probably you know um I, I think he's uh, he's definitely, you know, he was yeah the, the he didn't quite have the star power so not quite as recognized but yeah definitely some great stuff there. Um, Two thousand and three, unfortunately, because they had committed so much money to Danny Fortson, Adana Foyle, and Eric Dampier, <laughs> the Warriors were unable to re-sign Gilbert Arenas. So um, they he ends up having to go to the Wizards. Anton Jameson ends up going to the uh, Wizards as well as as well as Larry Hughes, who had previously um, played. He, he played briefly for the Warriors, if I'm not uh, uh, yes, mistaken yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the <laughs> which is kind of funny there, uh, and they um, they make a a massive trade of uh, to the Dallas Mavericks, getting rid of Anton Jameson, 
uh, and just uh, mostly for salary cap reasons. But the but the full trade is Danny Fortson, Anton Jameson, Chris Mills, and Jerry Welsh to the Mavericks for Evan Eschmeyer, Avery Johnson, Popeye Jones, Antoine Rigado, and Nick Van Exel. Again, they are not getting back the best player in this trade. They are not. No, <laughs> they keep, no, they no. keep doing that. Yes, they do that a lot. Yeah, this this is a trade that because I, I was I was a big Mavericks fan at this time, you know, growing up, and and, and yeah. still pretty fun to follow the Mavericks. And this is this is sure. the year that they decided, you know what. Defense is stupid. Like, let's just have Dirk, Steve Nash, Anton Jamison, and Antoine Walker, yeah. and everything is going to go okay. And I yeah. was all in, yeah. and it did not work out very well. But then, well you know, yeah. yeah, you know. Hey, they scored a lot of points. They know? scored a hell of a lot of points that year. But, yeah, they, yeah. they, they, they read the ship pretty quickly. This is the, uh, during a fun era of Dallas Mavericks where pretty much every single year they would trade, like, half their players that weren't Dirk and, and Nash right. and try to make I, it work or whatever. So Yeah, and, of, and of course, the Mavericks, uh, you know, coached by Don Nelson. You know, he, that's yeah, where he yeah, went yeah. after Golden State. So, you know, that's uh, there's there's that part piece of it as well. 2004, hey, Gary St. John, who's been the GM for all this, eh, maybe you're not that great at your job. Let's go ahead and get uh, Chris Mullen in here. You know, he's succeeding him as the executive VP of basketball operations. Uh, one of the first major deals he makes, uh, 2004, um, February 2005, excuse me, they trade Speedy Claxton and Dale Davis to the Hornets for Baron Davis. They hey, did it. They did it. Not <laughs> a good player. <laughs> get the better player in the trade. Hey. It works out. That's a hell of a deal, man. Who fucking what, what the hell's New Orleans doing here? Speedy Claxon and Dale Davis for Baron. Yeah. what are you guys doing? Uh, I think I think Baron had had some injuries and there was some uh, disgruntledness uh, going on there. So I think that that was feeding into part of this. But yes, that. Uh, Certainly, uh, you know, on paper, not yeah, a, not and a definitely good New Orleans Hornets not exactly the most profitable uh, uh, organization at this time, or either, so. or well run, yeah, <laughs> more importantly, or well run, yeah, they... not, not a strong ownership there, yeah, um, yes, and then in the offseason 2006, Gold State they hire former coach uh, Don Nelson, um, who Avery Johnson, a former Warrior Avery Johnson, part of that Anton Jameson trade, um. He coaches the Mavericks, so Nelson uh, goes back to Golden State, and you know we we uh, they they've got the some of the key pieces, of course, Baron Davis. Uh, they would make the the big uh, trade, uh, trading away Mike Dunleavy and uh, Troy Murphy for um, Stephen Jackson and Anton Jameson, and or excuse me, um, St- Stephen Jackson and um, oh um, Al Harrington, yeah, and they and that uh, of course you know leading to the uh, the we believe Warriors and you know at least, at least a few good times. Uh, uh, you know, another another one where it was fleeting, and then uh, eventually they transitioned into a great era with uh, uh, somebody uh, named. Uh, uh, let me let me check this. Uh, Steph Curry. Yeah, some little uh, some little yeah. guy out of Davidson. Yeah. 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 Right. He's gonna shoot threes. He's gonna win games by shooting threes. Okay. <laughs> Good luck, pal. <laughs> yep. So uh, coaching changes. They had uh, they had Don Nelson. Then they get Bob Lanier as an interim coach. They get Rick Adelman. Uh, for, you always forget a little bit the, the couple of years of Rick Adelman with the uh, Warriors, just kind of between uh, Portland and uh, and Sacramento. Uh, PJ Colosimo. We talked about that already. Uh, Gary St. John interim coach. Uh, Dave Cowens. Uh, not a good fit for the uh, Warriors. Uh, not, not a team that wanted to play much defense. And Dave Cowens kind of all about uh, effort and defense. Um, Brian Winters, another, uh, you know, seventies guy, uh, 80s guy, uh, player who's, uh, coaching their interim coach, Eric Musselman and Mike Montgomery. They tried the, uh, the college coach route a little bit and that, uh, does not go particularly well. As no, as well. no, it yeah. does not. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, they did actually have, you know, yeah, they, they kind of had some decent seasons here in the early, two, you know, they, like those last few seasons before the, we believe, Year, I mean, they won 38, 37, 34, and 34 games. So they weren't like 
absolutely terrible for you know all this time. They, now they did win between like nineteen and twenty one games from ninety eight to 02. So so those years were really bad. Then they get more just kind of middling, you know, mediocre. Um, you know, they still have Jason Richardson and some of their players, so they're they're never going to be that bad. Um, but the best season. You know, 38 and 44 in 2003, they had uh, Jamison, Gilbert Arenas, and Jason Richardson all as an exciting young core. And they would lose two of those guys. But, you know, eventually, as we said, uh, they, they would they would find some guys to replace them. Uh, worst season, uh, 17 and 65 in the 2001 season. Chris Mullen uh, making a uh, on-court on return to the uh, Warriors in uh, 2001. It's like, oh, man, I came back for this. This is, uh, this is not ideal. Um, the... Um, you know, that, that that was definitely their worst team on the court. Yeah. Um, but, you know, probably the real answer is 1998. You know, anytime, you know, hey, your your star checks out the coach, <laughs> creates a national moral, moral panic, you know, that's probably the better choice. They were 19 and 63 that year um, as well. So basically as bad on the court. And, yes, they uh, absolutely have. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the basketball court and the public court was, uh, yeah, was, was not good. Of you being the representative of all the, the, all the ills of today's – Sports right. society is yeah, it's right. pretty, it's pretty bad. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'll well, speaking of right. horrible franchises. Hey, these guys only lost ten years oh, okay. in a row, so yeah. it's not too bad here. Right. Uh, your Dallas Mavericks, nineteen ninety one to the my year Dallas 2000. Mavericks. Yeah, yes, no, no, course. sir. I'm sorry, sir. They, these are your Dallas. Yeah, Mavericks, no, not no, my no. Dallas Mavericks. Yes. <laughs> this is not what I like the Mavericks. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I just laughed at. I played NBA Jam, and I was like, "Who would ever pick the Mavericks?" They're not right. me. So, right. no. uh, and I never did. I still don't know if I've ever picked the Mavericks in NBA Jam. But anyway, nineteen ninety one to two thousand. Number of times in the playoffs, zero. So major franchise events. The thing, though, with, with these Mavericks are they were in usually stable franchise through all of the 80s. We've talked about this team a lot during the 80s. I mean, this was a really, really cool franchise that was really good. They just never could, like several other teams, couldn't quite get over the hump, could never really quite make a deep, deep run uh, into the, uh, the NBA Finals or out of the Western Conference, mostly because the Lakers are there and, and you know, they, they stumble into the Trailblazers and a bunch of other teams, you know, that were the Rockets at certain times as well. But, like, they were a very stable franchise, usually pretty good. Everything was pretty much... You know, business as usual. And then things go to complete disarray here in the 90s. Uh, it starts out with Roy Tarpley, uh, one of their, their their young, promising players. He gets banned from the NBA to do drugs. Uh, Brad Davis, who was a stable player throughout the 80s, is forced to retire. Uh, Fat Lever, who, who they had acquired from the, the, the Nuggets, he has knee surgery. Uh, they trade a bunch of first-round picks for him, and immediately he has knee surgery. So it's like they get nothing out of that trade. Uh, and then finally, in 1993, the, the last vestige of that old era uh, is over when they trade Rolando Blackman. Um, to uh, you know, so he's sent out of town, and, and essentially yeah. that era is over. Like that, yeah, that team is over. Derek Harper holds on for a little bit longer. But yeah, 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 it's like yeah. the it's like yeah. the last. Like I mean, he, right. he's on his yeah. last legs at this time. Absolutely, well, Blackman yeah. could still play a, a slight a bit, but yeah, they'd both pretty sure. much be done in the next few years. But right. what's interesting though is the team does acquire a lot of new talent quickly. They get Jim Jackson, Jamal Mashburn, Jason Kidd, uh, and others. Does not translate to wins, though, because in 1993, and we'll talk a little bit more about that year uh, in particular, they become one of the worst NBA teams uh, ever. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, teams actually okay for a bit uh, during the 1995 season when they finally felt like a team of the future. Uh, and then, unfortunately, everybody hates each other. Every one of those guys that oh, I mentioned yeah. cannot stand yeah. one another. So yeah. to, Tony Braxton might have been involved Yeah, there's there. some rumors of, yeah, of, of possibly right. a love triangle or a love quad or something like that. So yeah. uh, that doesn't, uh, doesn't work out very well. Yeah. yeah, Tony Braxton's involved. Everybody hates each other. Uh, yeah. Jim Jackson doesn't like anybody. Jamal Mashburn doesn't like anybody. Jason Kidd's kind of an annoying little shit at this time. And, well, he right. continued to be that yeah. for that most of his career. So yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. that's that. So then in 1997, that entire core is blown up. 
1997 is an insane year. 27 different players stood up for the Mavericks. And this is not a bubble year where you're allowed to have 19 guys in your roster or whatever. Yeah. I mean, this is ridiculous that 27 people would suit up for a team uh, in one year. And, and here's the greatest representation of this 1997 season. By the time the season is over, one player is retained from their opening night roster. Samaki Walker, <laughs> which is not great. Got When you, you know. You got to stick with Samaki Walker, absolutely. Yeah, that's not great. So anyway, yeah. uh, what, what does happen, though, is the Jason Kidd trade. Uh, they send him to the Phoenix Suns, and that gives them Michael Finley, which is great because they kind of help things out. Uh, you know, he kind of stabilizes things for a bit. And, and probably the biggest move as well in this in this early franchise or this early, you know, 90s or, or mid-90s, I should say, uh, is Don Nelson, who was in the front office for the team, says, ah, enough of this shit. All right, steps in <laughs> to coach the team. Uh, and things start going down the right path almost immediately with him. They, you know, in 1990, as we mentioned before, uh, they draft a seven-foot German prospect, Dirk Nowinski. Uh, they also acquire Steve Nash from the Phoenix Suns as well uh, in 1998. And then, yeah, things uh, finally start going well. And in, in, uh, uh, they finally have their first 40-win season uh, as the new team starts to gel. And then uh, bigger, you know, maybe the biggest of all here in January 14, 2000, uh, the group that previously owned the team, which was led by uh, – a presidential candidate Ross Perot. No, I, I don't. It was his son, I believe, actually. Oh, that's right, Ross Perot Jr. Well, yeah, that's fine. All right, there you go. Son of presidential candidate Ross Perot uh, right. sells the team to uh, then season ticket holder uh, and the internet entrepreneur Mark Cuban. And Mark Cuban obviously invests heavily in the team, and, and things go very well. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk no. about the bad teams. So this right. is nice to two thousand. So during this time, only six coaching changes, which is uh, not. I guess not too too bad. Sure. Uh, Richie Abuda or uh, uh, Adubato, uh, yeah, Adu, isn't that Adubato? Yeah, Adubato. That, I think that's a song, you know, uh, Aduba. Abdado, <laughs> I don't, I'm, you know, we'll have to research that one. We're uh, not a music podcast group, so no, you know, yeah, yeah, I don't nice. feel the need. Yeah, I don't feel the no, need no, to. No, yeah, no, take that's exactly. that. Uh, Garher, no. Quinn Buckner, Dick Mata, a very old Dick Mata, Jim Clemens, and finally Don Nelson. Uh, the best season, year two thousand. 40 and 42, as he said, first 41 season they've had in quite a while. Uh, start the year out 9 and 23, uh, but then things got on track, uh, sort of, some things along the way uh, in, during Mark Cuban's first ownership year. He decides, you know what? We need Dennis Rodman on this team. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Jason, to, uh, to put it lightly, it did not work out very well. <laughs> the Dennis Rodman in the Mavericks era uh, did not work out very well. But uh, thankfully, when they, they sent him away and they stopped kind of trying to be a sideshow and just said, hey, let's just let good basketball players play under Don Nelson, things go pretty well. Michael Finley makes his first uh, NBA All-Star game. Uh, second year forward, Dirk Nowinski ups his scoring average to 17.5 points per game. Uh, the Mavericks win nine of their final ten games, and really, despite missing the playoffs, it had clearly set the stage for that next uh, run, and obviously it does play out pretty well. They'll make 12 straight playoffs and an NBA title in, in the following years, but uh, this is the year that it really kind of all gets on track, and then the year where it does not get off track, the year where it's easily the worst year that they have ever had 1993 they go 11 and 71 they start the year 2 and 27 at one point they are 4 and 57 4 and 57 it's absolutely unbelievable uh they do a 19 game losing streak during the year as well very very close very close to setting the all-time record for the worst uh nba record ever then was the uh 9 and 73 mark by the philadelphia 76ers obviously that has been uh win percentage wise has been broken but uh uh, what really happens here is Jim Jackson, who they draft, he holds out because, like Danny Ferry, I don't really want to go to the play for the Mavericks because you guys yeah, fuck, you guys suck. Yeah. Like, why do I want to play for you guys? Uh, so he does a contract holdout, and he eventually ends that holdout, signs with the team, and they end the year on a seven and fourteen run. 
uh, and end uh, you know eleven and seventeen or eleven and seventy one. So it's the worst, second worst record in NBA history. Definitely on track to be the worst ever if, until Jim Jackson came uh, to to save the day here. But uh, yeah. they have the the worst average point differential in the history of the NBA minus fifteen point two points <laughs> per game. So they're not just losing; they're getting destroyed, destroyed. Every single time they come out here. And this is also the first year of their blue road uniforms, which I'm not saying. Right. But they finally retired those in, in, in 2001. And so you know, when they do the whole, you know, a rebranding. But, you know, they replaced right. the green, the, the familiar Dallas Mavericks green. Sure. sure. They replaced it here. And I'm not saying, I'm just saying, like, yeah. you know. Hey, fashion matters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I definitely you know we'll have to we'll have to research that but i i feel like um i, I think they're like the team- worst oh, I, I forgot to mention i think they're the worst srs team of all time too this 1993 mavericks yeah oh yeah i, I believe you're without you're even correct. it's like not even close they're like negative 11 or something right. like yeah that. Like no one's ever close they're, they're certainly yeah up there yeah uh, so okay who do you think was the the best player of the the defining player of uh this era for the oh, um, man yeah i mean yeah i you would think kid um although he you know he only played you know 182 games out of this uh time uh finley played 270 games it's and he looked, probably he, finley i want to say but yeah actually look at value of replacement his it, it, um he had 10.7 versus kid at 5.5 so statistically finley actually you know um you know seemed like he contributed more now granted he played you know, 270 games but um but that's I would I would support that. I was expecting Kid to be number one on the list for that. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think Jackson would really or Mashburn would really be the only um, other two. But they, um, you know, again, the, the sort <laughs> it doesn't of a, last long. <laughs> yeah, nobody really lasts long for um, the Mavericks in this era. I mean, the uh, the most that anyone played um, in this era was uh, Derek Harper, three hundred and seven games. So uh, it's another thing where you know they just don't necessarily keep guys for long enough for anyone to really uh, stand out. But I, yeah, I guess I would say, even though Finley was kind of there at the end and was, was there when things, he didn't really have the, the lowest points there. I mean, things started to get better, you know, once, you know, in the late nineties and then, you know, get good in, um, in 2000. So I think he was kind of the yeah, guy. I, I'd David. say him, yeah. I'd say other guys like Derek Harper, I think is at least in the mix. Um, sure. Like you said, yeah. he was still, he was still hanging around for a little bit. And then right. yeah, like Jim Jackson's in the mix. I mean, Mashburn. Yeah. Yeah. Mashburn. I mean, yeah. I, I think Sean Bradley was actually like okay for a few years as well sure. with him, but uh, sure. yeah, yeah it, it is a lot. Again, a lot of talented players like Cedric Sabalas plays there for a little bit, uh, like kind of the late sure. career Cedric Sabalas. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a case to be made with Turk, even though he only plays for like two years during this period. But I, I, I think uh, it's definitely Michael Finley. Um, yeah, that but makes sense. With yep. that said, I mean, he only plays like three or four years during this this time period that right. we're talking about as well. So right, I exactly. think it speaks to the st- instability of this franchise at, at, at this time. And, and again, when when you go through 27 players in a single year, like, yeah, no one's really hanging around for too long. Yeah, for sure. So I just want to, uh, before we go, I just want to also mention the longest under 500 streaks for the other franchises in um, NBA history. We're not, we're not going to go into any depth, but just want to, uh, for the record, we'll, we will share them. So uh, the Will, Will Wizards Bullets franchise had nine between 1988-1996. The Jazz also had nine seasons between 73 and 75 and 83 i should get these years right 1975 to 1983 nine seasons for the jazz nine seasons for the hawks between 2000 and 2008 nine for the knicks between 2002 2010 nine for the Cavs between 79 and 87 and then 
eight for the Celtics between 94 and 2001, eight for the Nuggets between 96 and 2003, the exact same eight seasons for the Grizzlies as well, 1996, 2003, seven for the Rockets, their first seven seasons of the league between 68 and 74, both San Diego and Houston, um, seven for the Nets between 86 and 92, seven for the Bucks between 92 and 98, the same seven seasons for the Sixers at 92 through 98, which is interesting. Uh, two separate stretches of six seasons for the Bulls, 82 to 87. So some of the Michael Jordan era and 99 to 2004, the post Michael Jordan era, um, six for the Suns between 2015 and 2020, of course, broken uh, this year as they are in the playoffs, the number two seed uh, six for the Lakers twice between 56 and 61 of course they made the finals one of those seasons so it's a little bit of asterisk there of course the league very different then and then more recently 2014 to 2019 before lebron comes um six for the magic between 2013 and 2018 six for the blazers between 71 and 76 their first six seasons um and then five for the charlotte franchise uh the Hornets slash Bobcats, the 2005 to 2009. They actually tied that this year, 2017 to 2021. The Pacers, five, three separate stretches, 76 to 80, 82 to 86, and 07 to 11. Five for the Heat for their first five seasons between 89 and 93. Five for the Raptors between 2009 and uh, 2013. Uh, four for the Sonics uh, and Thunder franchises, the first four seasons for the Sonics between 68 and 71. And then um, 2006, 2009, part of that for the Sonics and then the end of it for the Thunder, of course. Four for the Spurs between 86 and 89. As, as we've said, the, the as you talked about many times, the Spurs, you know, one of the more uh, successful franchises in, uh, in NBA history. Uh, I think this is the first stretch of them not making the playoffs two seasons in a row. I think you you recently shared that on Twitter. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. It yeah. Is, it, 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 it's pretty wild that that's the first time uh, in their entire franchise history that, yeah, that they have not done it. So And, and the Pelicans, uh, the New Orleans franchise, of course, you know, um, they're also known as the Hornets because it's not confusing at all. Uh, three separate stretches of three seasons uh, between 05 and 07, 12 and 14, and 2019 to 2021. Very interesting. Not a successful franchise generally, the, uh, the, the, the Pelicans, but they have never had more than three seasons um, without, you know, with a, a stretch of, you know, under 500 ball, they've always uh, managed to pop up there, even if it's just for a season or two and then, um, and then fall down again. Now, of course, they're the, their history only dates back to um, 2005. So, you know, they're one of the more you know recent franchises additions, but still that's uh, I thought that was an interesting fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for uh, checking us out. This was a uh, fun as always, rich and, um, and good stuff here. Uh, you can, of course, uh, you know, uh, find us on uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Please uh, give us a rating and review. It always helps others, uh, helps others find us, helps spread the word about the show. Uh, you can uh, check us out on uh, fansided.com. Lots of great um, NBA content there at the Step Back. And uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at over and back uh nba and uh and what's that manscaped uh, promo code again Rich? oh manscaped is fansided 20 for uh 20 off plus free shipping for uh manscaped.com for that lawnmower 4.0 yep support our sponsor manscaped.com and uh yeah thanks uh, everyone for uh listening we're back again soon
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.